At Eaton, we make the electric revolution work. With our combined automotive and electrical expertise, we're bringing intelligent power to electric vehicles so they travel faster, farther, and safer than before. Learn more at eaton.com e-mobility. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm your host, Pete Bigelow. My guest today is Alex Rodriguez, CEO of Embark Trucks. But first, it was a busy week on the robo-taxi front, with Waymo announcing the start of driverless service with its Jaguar I-Paces in San Francisco, and an expansion of its existing service in Metro Phoenix, with, uh, with operations now starting, limited to employees for now, but, but starting in downtown. And I kind of feel like that last bit is big. Uh, when I went to visit Waymo last October in Chandler, one of my key questions was wondering when they were going to expand beyond that initial 50 square mile service area uh, that's just in the suburbs and start going to the airport, start going to Arizona State University and start going to downtown in the fifth largest city in America. Uh, so at least one of those seems to have a answer on the near term horizon. Careful observers this week on Twitter also spotted cruise vehicles on the road in suburban Phoenix. So uh, on the robo-taxi front, we have Waymo and Cruise setting up early battles with each other in San Francisco and, and perhaps Phoenix now. And, and uh, you know, robo-taxis, which were in the trough of disillusionment for a while, are, are perhaps heating back up. Already hot, of course, are, are self-driving trucks. There's been a crush of interest over the last year, two years, especially with the existing driver shortage, uh, the supply chain crunch, uh, and, and it's obviously a familiar subject here on the podcast. In recent months, we've spoken with Two Simple's Cheng Liu, uh, Sterling Anderson and Nils Jaeger about the Aurora Volvo Trucking Partnership, and we've had on Finch Fulton from Locomation. Today, I am pleased to welcome the CEO of the very first self-driving truck company founded in 2016. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Alex Rodriguez, CEO of Embark Trucks. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here today. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Let's kick this off. Uh, take me back a few years. You're a student at the University of Waterloo. Uh, what are you studying at the time and why do you decide to, to ultimately drop out? Yeah, well, maybe I think if you really want to get to the, the beginning, you have to start even a little bit earlier. So I started building robots for competition at 11 in Calgary. Um, I compete for a whole bunch of years. And I, I think we learn a lot of things actually that turn out to be pretty useful uh, further on in the story from going to these, these competitions. Uh, I won the high school robotics world championships when I was 13 uh, and then kind of kept going from there. And so really loved it. And then go to the university of Waterloo, um, I'm studying robotics at Waterloo, maybe unsurprisingly. Uh, and at the middle of first year, um, have this idea because I haven't really built a robot, uh, yet in, in university. That's like the annoying thing about university Like you spend, I spent my entire ch child, young adulthood building robots. And then I go to university and they're like, read this math textbook. Um, and so I wasn't like super pumped about that. Uh, so I thought, oh, you know, let's have some fun. Let's go build a robot. Um, and so we took the summer 
off for second year and built a self-driving golf cart out of my parents' garage in Calgary. Uh, and that was fun. That was really cool. Uh, we took it back to Waterloo. We ran it at Waterloo with the blessing of the president. This was the first self-driving vehicle to run on public roads in Canada. Uh, and this was way back in 2015. Um, and then from there, we, we just fell in love with the space, wanted to keep working on it. Um, and so we dropped out, uh, came down to California, uh, went through a program called Y Combinator, which is a, a very prestigious startup incubator. Um, and then uh, sort of fairly quickly after that, sat down and said, okay, we have this really interesting technology and this very unique skill set from all these years of competitive robotics. Um, but we needed to also figure out what would be a good business. Uh, and so we spent some time and we ultimately settled on, on trucking uh, and self-driving trucks operating between cities. So 2015, you're, you're looking for that, you know, what is the, the winning business combination? Everyone else is talking about robo-taxis at that time. What was it that you saw in 2015 that made you think that trucks were the, the business uh, solution for the technology that you had in hand? Uh, so to, to make sure we have the, the date stream right, 15 is the golf cart, 16 is when we start sort of picking the truck. Um, everything else is accurate still, still nobody uh, working, on, uh, working on trucks. Um, the, the next step for us, I think, it, it really does come from all those years of competitive robotics. So one of the lessons you learn after many years of competitive robotics is the teams that win are not the teams that build the robots with the most capabilities. In fact, the teams that win are the ones that correctly identify the subset of things that they can focus on and do really, really well that will allow them to build something great and have good performance. Um, and I think that is actually a pretty unique insight because it, it's not something you figure out in your first robot or your second robot. Like, keep in mind at this point, I built probably close to 10 robots uh, and then taken them sort of through to, to actual competition or to production in some some sense right um and so after all these robots you learn like okay the hard things are going to be uh you know focusing testing and really figuring out the right use case um, and that inspired us to look at the problem a little bit differently right rather than saying how can we solve the problem i have the most often which is driving uh we said how can we find the problem where we can focus on a subset of things that will actually move the ball forward and make a good business. And I think um, the thing that was really exciting about trucking at the time uh, is first, it's a problem that's technically well-bounded uh, where you're able to not operate in city centers. Instead, you operate between cities. Uh, and that's obviously, uh, I think, a simpler technical problem. And then on the business side, it's a business where there's a real pressing need, which I think is actually pretty unique where you have carriers today with a big driver shortage, with a lot of pressure to improve fuel economy, with a lot of pressure to improve safety. And so they're going, we've got big problems that we need solutions for, and they're not really finding solutions. And so I think that's sort of the second thing is that it's not just that it's technically solvable, but that we felt pretty convinced that we would find a very receptive market um, that was both very large and had a real problem that this technology could solve. And there's something else about that too in regard to you know, the utilization rate of a taxi for um, you know, humans who are traveling during specific hours of the day, not 24 seven. Was there something in the, in the truck side where you also thought the utilization rate would be much higher? 
Yeah, I absolutely think that um, there are a lot of things about the trucking business that make it really interesting. And this is, of course, something that uh, we've now come to see in practice. And obviously, um, the sort of initial impetus for us to getting on the phone was talking about Embark's first earnings call, um, where we talk a lot about uh, today Embark has 18 trucks. Uh, we actually move commercial freight in autonomous mode for some of the biggest carriers in the country. Uh, and so we did, in fact, see that receptive audience of folks like whether that's DHL or Werner or Night Swift, um, you know, some of the largest carriers in the country saying, yeah, we absolutely want this technology. Uh, and I think the fact that you're able to get, you know, ballpark an order of magnitude, more value out of a vehicle that runs 24 seven, that has a much higher value use case, you're moving a lot more goods with one truck than with one car, and has a much longer lifespan. People don't talk about that. But um, you know, you have a million mile useful life on a truck where you have a maybe 100, maybe a couple hundred thousand useful life on a car. Uh, and so you're getting almost like, you know, without really exaggerating an order of magnitude, more value out of the same software and hardware. I mean, I think that obviously makes our job a lot easier. Um, you know, when you look at the robo taxi companies, they spend all their time trying to squeeze everything into a package that can sit in like a quarter of a trunk. We just don't have to do that. Right. And that that makes this a lot easier. All right, Alex, you mentioned the uh, the first quarter earnings call, which I believe is Embark's first. Uh, give us a high level overview of, of where the company stands here at the end of Q1 2022. And, and how do you compare it to your competition? Yeah, so this was uh, a couple of weeks ago now. We, we went out to New York, uh, did the first earnings call live from the NASDAQ. It was pretty fun. Uh, this was uh, sort of the summary of our 2021 and then the look forward to 2022 of what's coming up, right? Um, I think on the, the sort of what's happened so far, uh, there's been a lot of exciting progress in 21, but if I had to pick one thing, it would be saying what we're going to do and then doing it. And I think that's a uh, embark special. Maybe it's because I'm Canadian, uh, but it for many, many years, um, People have been like, tell us when you're going to be ready. Like, give us big number. And we're like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'll tell you when we know. Like, until then, I'm not going to tell you anything that I can't feel like we can back up. Um, and uh, in 2016 and 17, people thought that, that was a bad decision. I think in 2018 and 19, when other folks were running through their deadlines, people started to see the, the benefit um, of really trying to be pragmatic. And so in 2021, we laid out. Um, for the first time, the full roadmap. And we basically showed everybody, here's the 16 capabilities we need to do. And uh, we've, we're gonna, we've basically been doing two plus a year, every year since the beginning of the company. We're gonna keep doing that. Um, and so we did. So uh, 2021, we launched two new features on the capability roadmap, bringing the total to 11. Uh, and that was, uh, I think maybe the most interesting one there was construction. So the ability to operate through really challenging construction zones, including uh, situations that other people can't do, like when you've removed the lane markings and they're being repainted in a section of highway. Alex, I'm curious, like just to follow up on this idea of you don't want to, you know, overpromise or, or kind of like participate in that dog and pony show. Is that hard now that you're a publicly traded company and to some extent shareholders are going to, to want to see uh, you know, the flashy thing, or there's other companies who are announcing dates or, um, you know, for lack of a better word, that, you know, that 
big, bright, shiny object. Uh, so how do you kind of balance that need to be a realist yet, uh, you know, but give people some of what they want to understand about your company? Yeah, I think certainly part of the whole reason to do their earnings call is to, to let people, you know, look, look behind the kimono a little bit, understand some of the things. And I, I think the balance that we're trying to strike is we want people to understand the business and understand the real substance of how we're bringing this to commercialization. So for example, we talked about in 2021, Embark worked with some of these major carriers that I mentioned, um, built out a detailed rollout plan for how is this technology actually going to go into their fleet. And then um, the executive teams of those companies placed 14,200 reservations for the software, which is uh, by far the largest of any player, public or private, uh, in terms of, of real sort of book orders from, uh, from major carriers. And so, you know, being able to show that I think is obviously important and, and we want to really communicate that. Um, the other side of the coin is, uh, when, when we, when we got started, uh, in the, well, this was the first time, right. As, we, as we're sort of ramping up in our, our public company communication, the number one thing that everyone tells you is, uh, set reasonable expectations and then beat them. And they like, people need to be able to trust you and see that you're going to do that. And so we've tried to really do that, right? We, we showed this 16 cap milestone capability roadmap. We hit two in 2021, like we planned. We have, and then we talked actually looking forward for this coming year. We have two planned for this year, including interaction with emergency vehicles, which is another area where um, Embark is really leading the way. Uh, and, and really nobody else is, is at that point. And then we have three planned for 2023. Um, and so we, we talked through that whole thing and said, not just what are we going to do tomorrow or next month, but what is really from here to commercialization, which occurs in 2024, what are the key technical uh, capabilities that need to get hit? I was just going to ask you do, if, if you would put a date on that path to commerce or on that moment of commercialization, uh, what, what does the rest of that path look like? You did mention, uh, you know, interacting with uh, first responders or emergency vehicles. What are, what are kind of the other key milestones that we'll see between now and in 2024. Yeah. So like I mentioned, there's 16. If you sort of break this down into groups, if you think about day-to-day -day driving, what happens just when you're out on the road in a regular operation, Embark system already does all of that, right? And so what's in sort of that longer tail, those incremental things? Um, for us, that's interactions with emergency vehicles, uh, evasive maneuvers. Uh, it's dealing with... Uh, inspections, dealing with road triangles, being able to put those out when you need to pull over, um, and then dealing with mechanical failures and blown tires. So things that maybe don't happen every day, but, but certainly happen at a, a regular frequency. The other thing I'd point to in terms of what do we need to work on um, as we work towards that commercialization is also getting the technology in the hands of customers, right? So to date, every major self-driving effort, including ourselves, has always kept the vehicles in in-house right these are relatively early stage vehicles they're they're being sort of managed by engineers and so they work with people and, but they're always the the technology company's truck and embark's business model one of the things that distinguishes us is over the long term we don't want to be a fleet right over the long term we want to be an asset light company where we're licensing software to some of these big fleets that we partnered with um, folks like DHL and in order to do that, of course, the other thing you need to do besides make the technology able to handle all the crazy edge cases is 
you also need to start putting trucks into their fleet uh, instead of instead of keeping them close to yourself. And I think that's a big step in terms of maturity, um, not just of technology, but of operations, of our commercial partnerships. And that was actually the other thing that we talked about um, in earnings was uh, the truck transfer program. So the truck transfer program is a program for 2022. It's one of our big objectives. And the goal is that we're going to, for the first time ever, have embarked trucks operating in a major fleet uh, run by their drivers, maintained by their mechanics, uh, and out in the real world. So I think that's the other big step that we think about in addition to just building out the software is starting to put trucks in the hands of our customers. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting aspect to think about is obviously when you're, when you're bringing the technology, there's the whole business side of the, the trucking industry to, to learn. And um, it, it sounds like that falls right within that realm. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely spent a lot of time with the uh, CEOs of big fleets, just even asking questions, right? I don't, uh, I don't pretend to know everything about the industry. And I think that's part of why we, we chose the asset light business model. I'm a roboticist. I've spent 15 plus years doing robotics. I can do a really good job trading off what features should we include and how do we need to architect this system so it's robust and, and well-built. But when we ask, you know, how should we uh, do tire changes so that we optimize the cost. I, I, you know, Night Swift's been doing that for 40 plus years. Uh, and I, I don't pretend that you know, we would be able to, to come in and really be competitive doing that. Alex, you mentioned the 14,200 reservations that have already been placed so far within your partner development program. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that development program is all about? Uh, you know, what does it cost to, to place a reservation right now? And, and how is that program moving forward? Yeah. So the, the idea behind the partner development program is Embark believes this technology is going to be hugely powerful, but, but it needs to be able to scale up, right? It's not useful to just be on 18 trucks. It really needs to be on thousands. Um, and in order to do that, we think it's really important that we're working hand in glove with some of the biggest carriers in the country to give them access uh, and to be able to get these trucks into their fleets. And so we started the partner development program, which is basically a formal uh, working relationship with some of the largest fleets in the nation where we're co-planning the rollout of driverless trucks. And that work, of course, ultimately leads to us sitting down and saying, okay, here's what your network looks like. Here's what Embark's rollout plan looks like. Here's what your customers look like. Let's evaluate how quickly do we need to scale this up. And at the end of all of that, we allowed only the big fleets that are committed to working with us towards that specific outcome, that are running pilots with us in the field, that are working with us on preparing best practices, on building out that road manual. We allowed those fleets that are committing to do work with us we committed to them that we were going to give them access to a certain number of trucks. And so the, the total across all those fleets is 14,200 trucks. Uh, and that ends up being rolled out over the first five years of commercialization. DHL is one of your big partners. Who are some of the others who, who have made that commitment with you? Yeah. So everybody who's in the partner development program uh, are sort of the, the universe of folks that were allowed to do that. So there's about half a dozen of the, the top hundred carries in the United States in the partner development program. Um, DHL is a well-known name. Werner is a well-known name. Uh, Night Swift, largest truckload carrier in the United States. Uh, and then folks like Mesilla Valley Transport, Bison Transport, and, uh, going on from there. 
We're going to take a short break from my conversation with Alex for this word from our sponsor. The way the world moves is changing at a rapid pace, and vehicle manufacturers are looking to design and build electric vehicles that travel faster, farther, at a lower cost to consumers and the environment. At Eaton, we're working hard to evolve EV technology at our sweet spot, the convergence of electrical and mechanical power. With 100 plus years of experience in power electronics and electrical distribution, Combined with our automotive and commercial vehicle expertise, we're bringing intelligent power to electric vehicles. Through our global R&D and manufacturing facilities, we deliver quality products that our partners and their customers demand. The result? Safer, more efficient EVs with superior levels of serviceability. From startups to legacy vehicle manufacturers, we help facilitate vehicle electrification today and collaborate with companies around the globe to innovate the transportation technologies of the future. Because building cleaner, more efficient vehicles is what matters, and it's our job to help make it work. Eaton, we make the electric revolution work. See how at eaton.com e-mobility. And now back to my conversation with Alex Rodriguez, CEO of Embark Trucks. Alex, I want to loop back to um, construction zones since you mentioned them, and that was a kind of a key feature for for you and everybody else in the trucking industry. Uh, and I think that dovetails into your approach to mapping. But how do you how do you kind of drive through a construction zone where there's no lane markings, and and what is your approach to mapping? How does it differ from what a lot of the others are, are doing in the industry? Yeah. So maybe first I'll break construction into two different things because. Um, people sort of talk about, oh, the system is able to handle construction, but construction is like a, you know, a big set of different things. Um, and so a lot of systems are able to maybe handle some of them, but not, but not others. Um, I think the two biggest categories in my mind are there's construction where you've added objects and there's construction where you've changed the road. And so I'm sure you can easily think of examples of these two, right? You might have cones sitting, closing it off, or a sign closing off a lane. Um, that's easier because all you need to do is detect those cones, detect that sign, and then make that move, right? Where it starts to get really hard is when the road itself has changed. And so that would be, I think, the most quintessential example is you strip, strip the lane markings and repaint them in three feet to the left because you want to put some, you want to do some work on the shoulder. This happens all the time on the interstate, right? Um, and uh, this gets really hard. And the reason it's really hard is because self-driving systems prior to Embark were all premised on this idea that there's a set of static features that don't change. And you start the very first step of any system that's based on HD mapping, which is sort of the um, the legacy technology that has been used for many years, especially in RoboTaxi, is you have your you have your view of the static map that you've built that's very detailed, and then you line it up with the road and you figure out how that lines up with the static features that you're seeing in your camera and your lidar, and then that gives you the first layers. You actually aren't getting the static information from your sensors; you're getting it from the map, and you're just 
matching up sort of what are called landmarks or key points um, in order to figure out where that map is and where you are in the map. Um, that works really good as long as the static features are in fact static, which is a bit of an assumption. Uh, and so suddenly when you have repainted lane markings, for example, and the whole lane has moved to the left, um, now you're in a really tricky spot, right? Where uh, your system might find some of the continuing to exist uh, landmarks and it might be able to, to like line it up. But your best case scenario now is that you're driving where the lanes used to be based on the, lane mark the landmarks that you're seeing which is obviously not what you want to do. Um, and this problem is particularly poignant on the interstate. You have a lot of construction, you have no opportunity to take a detour, you're going very fast, and so you need to be able to respond to it in real time. And that's basically what Embark said, is the historical answer to this was, well, we'll just update the map, right? It's okay if we can't use that road for a few hours, we'll like fix the map and, um, Competitors talk about trying to bring that time down from months to weeks to days, even maybe to hours um, of like, how do you sort of speed up map fixes? And Embark took a pretty different approach where we said, let's not use landmarks and let's not use a saved view of the world that says the road is static. Instead, what we will do is we will have, we still have a map, but the map is more abstract. It says we expect a certain number of lanes certain type of shoulder, a certain type of merged geometry for this road. And then separately, we're actually observing the road in real time and pulling out all those same features. So finding the lanes, finding the shoulder, finding the merged geometries. And then the, the, the beautiful part is you bring these two together and you do what we call vision, map, fusion. So taking the vision and the map and you're fusing them together and you're uh, deforming your pre-built map in real time to match what you see. And so as you get, as you look far out, you might not have a lot of detail and you might be using the pre-built map mostly. As you get closer and closer, you're gonna say, hey, look, I see that the actual lanes are three feet to the left of the lanes I expected. Uh, and it actually then will move the map to match what it's seeing while allowing a continuous view out into the future. Uh, and this basically allows us to handle that second type of construction where it's not just adding things, but it's actually changing the road itself. So if I have this straight, Alex, are you telling me the, the reason that HD maps will, will work for robo-taxis and not for trucks for reasons you just explained, but the primary reason they would work for robo-taxis is because they, they essentially can take a detour or a different route to where they're going because there's multiple routes available in a city, whereas you've got the interstate, you've, you've got one path and that's it. Yeah, you've got it. I mean, there's this very famous video of a, a Waymo car getting stuck just because there's sort of a cone on the road. It's not like doing anything, it's just there. And the reason that happened was because, uh, at least at the time, that architecture basically saw a cone and said, ah, we're just gonna not go anywhere near it because we don't handle this type of thing and we'll just go some other way. Okay, got it. Um, that's fascinating. I'm gonna to have to wrap my head around that one a little bit more. Uh, I wanna ask you another kind of technical question. I know you and Embark are testing in snowy conditions in Montana, which is obviously very far away from the Sun Belt where, where everybody else, including Embark, is, is operating. What are, you, what are you gaining out of the, the testing in snow? Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll definitely share out the full sort of results and I'm pretty excited to do that, but we have wrapped up the Montana testing um, for, for this winter. 
And really the objective of that, it's gone, I can share that it's certainly gone well and we're sort of excited to give the full readout. The objective of that testing was really two things. One, um, Embark, our initial focus is the Sunbelt. And so 2024 launch, that's gonna be Sunbelt only. But when we look to 2026 expansion to the rest of the country, uh, it turns out there's actually only so many winters between now and 2026. And so it, it felt like it was prudent for us to spend a little bit of time um, starting that process, really understanding how the system performs in snow. And I think it's something that we're able to do where other people have tried to kick it further down the road because of Vision Map Fusion. So just in the same way that construction messes up your, your landmarks, snow messes up your landmarks. Like all the things you would use to align are all, all gone, they're covered in snow. Um, and there again, you see an example of a road that might change very significantly over the course of a couple of hours. And Embark system uniquely is able to adapt to that and, and fix the map on, in real time as it goes. Gotcha. Well, speaking of the Sunbelt for, for a moment, uh, you unveiled one of the more intriguing partnerships, I think, uh, recently with a real estate firm called Altera. Uh, and you're doing work across the Sunbelt, kind of finding spots to, um, you know, where, where man and machine can, can interact and, and change over. Uh, what, are, what specifically are you doing with Altera? Yeah, so I'm, re I'm really excited about the, the Altera partnership. So Altera, for those who don't know, um, is a, about a billion and a half dollar real estate investor uh, that is focused specifically on uh, outdoor industrial real estate, basically truck parking. Um, and uh, as they were starting to think about deploying their new fund, uh, they had heard about Embark and they're obviously thinking about the fact that if you're buying these assets, you need to be thinking 10, 20 years out, and 10 years from now, the utilization patterns of these outdoor truck parking spots might look very different. And so uh, they reached out to us, uh, we got to know them, and we were really excited because we have an asset like business models. We don't want to own the real estate, um, and Altera does, and so you know it's a, a pretty good match. Uh, and so what we announced recently is that we're going to be helping them identify sites that are well-suited to driverless, and then they're going to give us, uh, and the fleets that we work with, uh, sort of first look at those sites and preferential access to be able to use them to pick up and drop off trailers. And so this is a tool Again, as you think about, we're building up not just the technology, but all those pieces of the business so that, you know, when we sit down with a, a major fleet uh, and we're talking to one of the top 10 fleets in the United States and they say, we want to be able to put thousands of trucks into service, um, but we need to be able to pick up and drop off from sites. It's going to take a while to be able to do that. We're able to point to, actually, there's already real estate investors that we work with. There's already sites that were selected. Uh, and that are mapped in over time to Embark's coverage map. Uh, and so you can log in to Embark's system and dispatch a truck to that site tomorrow, uh, and that'll give you access to that market um, from a, a carrier perspective. So let's back up a second. Your business model essentially says that, and this is a point of differentiation throughout the industry, uh, where some people do believe in this, this model where there are transfer hubs uh, so humans can kind of take over for the last mile or, or some you know, last mile portion of, of a route. Is that how you see this unfolding? And, and at what point does, does a truck go from uh, you know, dock to, to customer destination? 
Yeah. So we, you start, I think, with what's called drop and hook. So, uh, and this is actually used a lot for even for non-self-driving reasons. You'll have lots of people who do drop and hook um, because it's a lot more efficient in many cases. Uh, and this is where the truck that's going back and forth doing that long haul, instead of stopping and waiting to load and unload, uh, it's just dropping the trailer near the final destination, picking up another trailer and going back, right? And that allows you to save on what's called detention time, uh, where the truck is just sort of sitting, waiting, and is actually a, a pretty useful and important piece just in general, never mind um, for self-driving. But of course, uh, it also helps for self-driving that you can be dropping off lots of trailers to one site uh, and then have someone do the first and last mile. And I do think that's the right initial model. I do think that's also the right model to allow you to be able to onboard people long-term and to be able to give you full market access, right? It's the only solution that allows you to say, hey, big new carrier, we're going to sell to you. You can buy thousands of trucks. You can have them run to most major markets in the United States without any, any setup, without any instrumentation. You just buy the trucks, run them to the transfer points. Everything's going to work out of the gate on day one. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't incrementally add to the coverage map over time. And that's actually an interesting concept that we haven't talked as much about yet, um, but is, is that Embark's coverage map is really this digital map that looks at all the places any truck could pick up or drop off. And it's going to end up being a mix of different actual hard asset owners. So Altera might be a hard asset owner that you can uh, dispatch to. But for example, if we're working with a very large beverage manufacturer and their uh, warehouse is close to a highway and is a good location, that could get added to the coverage map as well, right? If you're working with a large carrier and they have existing terminals that they want to use and they're in good locations, that could get added to the coverage map as well. And so that's why it's useful, I think, to be asset light and have this digital coverage map is because it actually gives a lot more flexibility to our customers over time versus somebody who's trying to build all their own sites. How much, you know, how many sites, I guess, do you need, be it something that a large beverage manufacturer already owns or an Altera site? Like, what's the critical mass necessary to, to, get, to get this business off the ground in a kind of widespread way? Yeah, it's a little bit hard to give a single number for that because I think that's something that's just going to continue to trend up over time. Um, in the next 12 months, uh, we're aiming to have what we think of as sort of the backbone of the Sunbelt network up and running so that sort of you're able to go to most of the major, uh, most of the major uh, origin destination points and run freight between them uh, if you're a, a customer of Embark. So that's kind of the first step in our mind, but that's just gonna continue to grow and continue to, to diversify where you, know, you might add, right? When you, when you have one site and it's a transfer point, for a market that's relatively few, as soon as you want to go to a bunch of customers, that adds a lot more sites per city, right? And so it's going to continue to grow. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, we haven't talked a whole lot about the human side of the, the trucking equation yet, but obviously, it, you know, it sounds like there's jobs for, for truckers still uh, at these transfer sites. Um, so maybe just 30,000 foot view, how does the advent of autonomy in trucking impact jobs from, from your vantage point? Yeah, I think that this is going to be actually a really positive thing for the trucking industry. And this is one of the things that we hear, um, not, just for, not just for manufacturers, not just for carriers, but also for drivers. Um, and uh, interestingly, 
uh, Embark actually hired uh, the person who was responsible for self-driving truck policy work at the Teamsters Union, uh, came over to Embark to help figure out how this can be good for drivers as well. Um, and he, he has a blog post on our site. You should go read it if, if you're interested because it's very interesting because um, we've been working with him for years on the other side of the table. Uh, and he was like, you know what? I think this is actually going to be really positive and I'd like to help shape it in a way that can be positive for drivers. Um, and I think the way that, that that ends up being is right now you have a huge shortage of drivers that makes the industry kind of painful uh, to work in, but also, of course, impedes our ability to just be an efficient country, right? Drives inflation, drives uh, supply chain shortages. Um, and what we're able to do is you're, you're able to take an industry where you have a big gap already, and you also have a really bad demographic layout where most of the drivers are older uh, and they're close to retirement. And so you have a lot of drivers retiring. And what we're able to do is create a job that's actually attractive to be able to bring new young drivers into the industry because your driverless truck is going to a transfer point, dropping the trailer, and you're creating jobs where someone's able to uh, be higher paid and run uh, within a single city and then go home uh, in the evening and, and see their family. Uh, and so that's, you know, if you had to pick, if you had to look for the number one complaint of, drive, of truck drivers, it's I don't get to see my family. And then maybe just right after that, it's like, I'd like to make more money. Um, and we're able to do both of those things uh, by making the driver a more efficient part of the overall system. You mentioned the supply chain shortage, uh, and I'm curious if the that issue becoming kind of front page news on a daily basis for for the better part of the last year, if not a little longer, has that changed how the Teamsters have seen uh, the advent of autonomy, uh, or or just kind of given the industry more momentum? Uh, is this kind of a catalyst for for getting autonomy on the road in terms of trucks? I think what, what inflation and the supply chain shortage has done is it's really made what we've known for a long time and what the trucking industry has known for a long time, just blindingly obvious to everyone else, right? Uh, it, it was, it's been known for a long time that there's a driver shortage and that the demographics are really not seeing younger drivers coming in to replace those that are retiring. Um, so that's been known in the trucking industry for a long time and we've known it for a long time but it wasn't known by your average person, right? And I think what we're seeing is when we see this inflation driven by uh, a shortage of drivers, uh, we see this is what we've been expecting. This is something that we sort of knew was coming. Uh, and I think the important takeaway, if I was to add one takeaway, it's this isn't something that's just go, like a one-time thing that's gonna go away if you just wait. Because there are fundamental long-term demographic reasons that this is happening and those are getting worse, not better. And so maybe you'll see dips and waves, but this is an ongoing problem that's going to get worse over time. And so uh, I think that certainly has woken a lot of people up and also a lot of people in government to seeing uh, the benefit of what we're doing here. Alex, take this full circle. Uh, you know, we already kind of went over your time at the University of Waterloo. How did you get interested in robotics in the first place when you, you know, started kind of getting interested in these competitions that you uh, entered uh, when, when you were a kid, I guess? Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I, 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 I just really loved it. I got, I got recruited in, in grade seven by uh, the robotics teacher to come join his team. 
Um, he's been a huge influence on my life. Uh, and um, then just kind of kept doing it. I think it's, it's just incredibly interesting and particularly competition robotics, I think is so cool because, you know, most, almost all the time when you're 14, you're not really given any real responsibility. Uh, but in competition robotics, you, you kind of take these, these young kids and you just tell them, hey, figure it out. And I've met competition robotics teams, uh, pit crews that are like NASCAR level that would blow most of the adults you've met out of the water. Uh, and then these are like, you know, grade 10s. Um, and so I think it's really cool. Uh, and uh, actually one of the things that, that we talked about in the earnings call that um, I think is, is super, super exciting is obviously Embark is, is in a pretty cool spot. Um, I'm hugely grateful to, to all the people that, that got me into robotics and made it possible. Um, and so we started uh, this thing called Little Robots that uh, is going to give grants to the next generation of uh, roboticists. Uh, we're funding it by me not taking a salary and that money is kind of going into that. And the first grant went to the Afghan Girls Robotics team. Uh, so that's a group of people that, you know, do some pretty cool robotics and have to do it under incredibly hard conditions. Uh, and so I think that was a really uh, cool moment to, to, yeah, kind of bring it full circle. Yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is like giving kids a hands-on experience as opposed to, um, you know, just making them read something out of a book is, has been really beneficial to you and, and I'm certainly will be for others. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what we talked about at the beginning, right? I didn't want to do the, the math book. I wanted to build a self-driving golf cart. And uh, I think what you learned there ends up being, being pretty useful. Well, Alex, it's been great having you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for making the time. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Alex for making the time today. Really enjoyed that conversation and learning about his background in robotics, uh, as well as uh, a lot of the developments going on with Embark, which are, which are many. Uh, and, you know, again, across the industry right now, it seems like self-driving truck news uh, is coming fast and furious. So we'll, we'll continue to stay on top of that. That is it for today. Um, thank you to our listeners for, for tuning in. Uh, thank you to our producer, Josh Freed. And we'll be back with another Shift podcast next week.